episode 68 of Board Games with Variant Hex is all about the exhibit hall at Gen Con 2022. I'm Kelly, and in this episode, Aaron and I talk with Adam about what we saw, bought, and did at the exhibit hall. Despite all the events and other locations that Gen Con spreads into across the city, you could very well fill all four days with casual strolls through the exhibit hall. Without further ado, I'll turn it over to Adam, Aaron, and myself talking about the exhibit hall at Gen Con 2022. Kelly, Aaron, do you know why it's called Gen Con, first off? Oh, I do. Do you know, Aaron? No. Wait, I think I do. What's it, your guess? It was What's in... your guess, Aaron? You want me to oh, guess go, before? Oh, go ahead. So, um, yeah. I, I feel like I did read this over the past month, but it's not a thing. it's not a thing that stuck in my head. I thought of a hilarious one that's not the real answer, where Jennifer Connelly shortened Gen, <laughs> Gen Con. I think that's funny. That's not the real actual answer. That is though. not it. Kelly, what's your? I don't. I, I don't remember. The where it was first held was like Lake Geneva. Absolutely, it's the Geneva oh, Convention. Yeah, that's is what it is. And Lake Geneva is also where Gary Gygax is from. Yeah, the creator of Dungeons and Dragons, which is why it was headquartered in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Oh, there you go. So this episode, we're going to be talking about the exhibit hall. I I did not go to Gen Con this year, but I had gone in previous years. And for those of you that have not been to Gen Con or been to a similarly sized convention, the exhibit hall is the main big area mm-hmm. where you're going to have the booths mm-hmm. of the different vendors, as well as the different game makers, as well as like a hodgepodge of different like artists authors yeah you can get magic card signed which i certainly enjoy doing or your favorite fantasy or sci-fi author you can take books to them or whatever or meet them you know give them a high five or whatever following protocol so that's what we're going to be talking about and it's just this insanely large space go ahead and take it away though you guys saw it this year yes so we're going to start off with just we there's lots as adam was just saying in the exhibit hall however for board games as far as board games are concerned i don't know that there's this kind of rush on other items i don't know that there's like tabletop rpgs that are in limited stock but it's definitely true for board games that the publishers bring some quantity of that to indianapolis to the convention to sell some of them will have an allotment they're selling through every day others will just sell it till it's gone So that first, on Thursday, the first day that it's open, if there's some item that you know is hot, maybe you've been looking obsessively at the Board Game Geek Gen Con list. Maybe you did a podcast recording for all the things that might be there. 12 of them. And you can look at the (laughs) thumbs and the must-have that they've, you know, people people have selected on there to get a sense of what people are looking at and what you can also find out from the publishers a little bit. They'll kind of say how much they do or don't have, vaguely speaking. So there's some things that you might really want, you know, a lot of people really want, which means if you intend to get it, you may have to prioritize it for that first day. Other publishers will have an allotment where they'll only sell maybe 50 a day. And every morning, then that gives kind of different people the opportunity. So if you just can't come on Thursday, that still gives you, I think it's a little more fair, still gives you the opportunity to buy the game, even if you're only going to be there one or two days of the convention. So that in mind... I had formulated a pretty strong day one, hour one strategy of here's the things and the order that I want to hit them based on how much of each thing I think is in stock. Kind of then shop a little bit more throughout the day. And then anything that was those first hour specials that might have already been gone by not going there first, be able to get those the next day. So that was really the first couple days. For those of you who are questioning the quality of Kelly's preparation, I was slacked. Why would they? There were so many episodes. (laughs) I was slacked a PDF map that was annotated. It was. um, With the responsibilities that I was to have as a part of this plan. Yeah, we had to split up because this isn't a time for, you know, hand-holding and buddy system. Like... We each had, he had a location he was going to first, I did, and then we both had a chain of locations moving across the convention center to hit. Last year, there was a lot more wandering, so I was pretty surgical this year. In the first hour, we swept through and got the bulk of what we wanted to get. 
and like the things that I knew absolutely I wanted to get, didn't want to like, you know, see a preview or demo of, or, you know, find out exactly how much were they going to charge for it. Things I know I wanted, got a lot of those in the first hour. There were a couple things that did have just daily allotments. And I think also were maybe a little more, I don't know. I would think that Twilight Inscription was probably the hottest game that we got. It had a daily allotment. and then It so had did... a daily allotment of 50 a day, which means they maybe had 200. They maybe had 250 because the other thing was that all of the exhibitors get to shop the day before, kind of mostly probably. And they also, I think, get to shop in the first hour before it actually opens. So Ready, Set, Bet was actually the game that seemed to have the lowest allotment, the most people interested in, that I went to first and they did not have it. I reluctantly, not reluctantly, but I, I bought other things at the AEG booth that I was less excited about since I was already there. What I maybe should have done instead was walk directly to the Fantasy Flight booth where I would have found out that they weren't selling Twilight Inscription there at all. It was being sold in Miniature Market further deeper. And by the time I had got to Miniature Market, they realized they had a problem on their hands, which was... Everyone wants this game or a couple different games, but mostly Twilight Inscription. And we did not appropriately expect that. There wasn't a queuing plan. There was not. There were three aisles. It was just a couple of employees meant to manage that. And I tell you, those employees got stronger every day because every single day people were lining up right away for Twilight Inscription. So the second day, now people know there's allotments on things and they know what they have to get to. Both days, we just... Aaron had to get his coffee early. I would just sit next to the door until they opened it and go in. So just some quiet morning time, plenty of other people choosing to do the same thing. The second day, I was going for that. You were going for Lord of the Rings exit Exit, game. And I think your trek was not as intense as mine. I walked in, was one of the first people through the doors. I know which door I was going through, knew exactly where I was going to. So I'm walking there with, you know, purpose. And as I get to one of the, I'm going vertically, I get to one of the horizontal aisles and I look to my right and I see many more people walking much faster in that way where you're like, oh, I guess I'm also walking faster now. I got to the corner of the booth right as kind of the horde, the horde was converging and there was no longer a sensible line being formed. I was like the last person to get in in the sensible line, aside from one person who pushed in front of me. And you know what? That person must have wanted it more than me because I did not push him back to reestablish my position. Got a copy of it, walked away. They were more organized, but that was probably the most bonkers sort of convention uh, exhibit hall moment that I had. Everything else was pretty chill. Well, I think owing to Kelly's preparation and plans on uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday... We were near the front of the doors for the exhibit hall. And when you're in it, you don't see. Sunday, we basically were finished. And And we were riding the escalator up as they were about to open the doors. We weren't in line. We weren't going to jump in there right away. And the hallway was just crowded with people. just people. And I was like, you know what? I think it's been this way every day. And we just didn't see it because we were in the front. In the front. You can see these photos easily online if you look for Gen Con and kind of opening the doors. Because the way the convention hall is set up there's these doors that you go in and then that part of the convention is op- the the building is open all the way up through the third floor. So it's like a atrium. So even though there's lots of people there, there's a sense of airiness because a good amount of space above head is super high and then like filled with natural light as well. So if you go up to the second floor, there's a railing that kind of runs along that same hallway where you can look down and see the sea of people. Down it's there. Nuts. So there's usually people standing on the second floor video, like taking video of people streaming into the convention hall. You can also see people that stand when you come in first, exhibitors or whoever media people are usually standing there, you know, feet planted with their camera to capture everyone pouring in past them, like kind of the crowd splitting around them. That's the craziness of kind of getting in there, trying to get things the first hour, trying to get allotments, if you're the person that cares about that. Now, ultimately, there are very few things there that you can't just buy in a month or two. So there's also that balance of it. There are some things that are truly exclusive. In a weird kind of off off chance, I was at a booth where they said, oh, yeah, this game's out of print. We happen to find a box of this 
in the back closet, so we brought it to Gen Con to sell. So there's things like that that you might truly be getting something you it's unlikely you'll get anywhere else. But kind of that pandemonium aspect of it is a little, it's very Black Friday type of a thing where like, yeah, people are rushing in here to do this. But like, also, if you wait a little longer and you pay a couple more dollars, you cannot be bothered with any of it. So I think I'm trying to say about the exhibit hall, there is kind of this groupthink pressure to, oh, I'm going to get in there and get fast and get that thing. But like the counterbalance is none of it's actually that deep. And especially if that sort of idea freaks you out, those kind of crowd sizes and that kind of pressure and that stampede like kind of feel that it borders on. Just know that none of nothing in there is truly that exclusive. And you can there's plenty of games you can still get plenty of things to see at complete leisure. There's more than enough publishers that bring just accesses of stuff like you don't have to participate in any of that. Yeah. But we did yeah, succeed and, in getting all the Kelly, I don't know if this is your experience when you mm. were going through that, but it's also not just people. Because sometimes you're in line, you're like, oh, I'm sorry, let me get behind the pyramid head character from Silent Hill. Yeah. Like, th- there's like also like characters yes. you're interacting with in a very normal way, which is even stranger. I feel like there is, I would say Thursday, there was not very much cosplay at all. Like, I don't really remember much on Thursday and it's pretty light on Friday too. Saturday, which is the day we were in the exhibit hall. Not that much. Sunday was probably the least, but we weren't in there that much. That day has the cosplay contest. So the most people are there with props. There was a guy, I think later on he was in a costume that needed the kind of stilts. They were kind of like those running band, like semi-circles stilt kind of things. And I think he just was wearing them around the exhibit hall to be taller than everyone else. Like just to feel the space that existed another foot above the crowd. Like I, he was otherwise in normal clothes. So there is some of that where, you know, if you do that at Target, it's going to be a lot weirder. <laughs> but if you bring your stilts to the exhibit hall, people are like, oh, good idea. Look at you. Look at you. <laughs> So now I think we're going to have Adam guide us through the exhibit hall. Which is massive. So obviously we can't go through all of these. I guess some questions I have for the two of you. Yeah. There are different sizes of booths based on, I'm sure, what the different companies pay for. Mm-hmm. Was there? What was the most striking setup? Like which company or which business was like, oh, wow, this is yeah. impressive. I've got a couple. What do you got here? Well, Everdell had a tree that you could climb into and take a picture in. Yeah. And that was oh, that was pretty wow. solid. And it wasn't. It's not climbing a tree like if you were outside in nature. It was a it cylinder. Is, it is a it is a cylinder, and it's a, just a couple steps. And they have like a cutout with a hashtag Everdell, where if you give the nice person your phone, they'll take a picture of you peering through kind of this window that's been cut into the tree. And then the top of it, more than being leaves, it's like three circle bands that get bigger and bigger as it goes as it gets higher to the ceiling. So it is very much the it's the appearance of a tree. But just so we're clear, it's not like a leafy, climby, everyone is scaling a tree situation. But things like that, those big, impressive booths start to serve as a waypoint. Because at one time, I believe I did text Aaron and say, I'm near the ever tree. Right. Which is pretty yeah. fun. It, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty fun. That's the one that kind of stuck out to me kind of oh. off the top. eBay. Oh, and I think yeah. they did it. I They may have did, done this last year, too. Their booth had like a loft and a second story with like a table and chairs up there. And I don't know if that was for certain people or certain events or what. eBay was also giving away a a game game if you just showed that you had an eBay account. In my opinion, how good could the game be? So I didn't bother. He just told me the game was completely free. And when people tell me something is completely free, (laughs) I just think they're lying and I walk. I keep. Oh, no, it was. It was, in fact, free. (laughs) And there's a lot of that in the exhibit hall. Like, if you say to yourself, Completely I don't, free. well, if you say months, no, I think in the exhibit hall, there are a lot of <laughs> things that are completely free. And if you say to yourself, like, well, I don't want to go in there because I don't have any money to spend on games. 
that is not the only thing happening. There are tons of freebies. There are tons of demos. Um, so as far as other impressive, the boots, Matrix board game had a room. Oh, that legendary! You could walk to. Yeah, le- yeah. Legendary, legendary has a Matrix uh, version because Legendary does lots of different IPs. And they had a hallway that was done. It was Matrix. It was done in with black with with green LEDs up and down the wall. That was pretty cool. So yeah, you could walk through there and things like that that give you photo ops. Lots of the booths have like big uh big fabric walls that'll have like giant like their game box printed on the side like the artwork so there's lots of good places to take a backdrop with a nice photo floodgate always has like really tall column kind of things and again a lot of these are fabric lined or some some sort of fabric that makes it very impressive but then very light for them to travel with like the top of the ever tree was some kind of fabric the the great american mail game folks the yeah the usps the, yeah there's a usps game and they had a like a a, a regular a regular mail truck mail truck and we were like can we buy this game and he was like yeah got him around back in the truck and yeah you had to, you had to like walk a around the australian the back man of the truck. oh yeah <laughs> was actually selling games out of the back of the truck and then they had like a picture backdrop of like a neighborhood and they had picnic tables out where you could play the game there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on where there'll just be a little bit of set dressing or staging for a game especially if it has like a very distinct theme yeah yeah i was just about to talk about the mail truck i'm trying to think anything else there's some of them have you kind of wander through the booth to buy games because as adam said some aren't just like a table in a booth like you would see at a very business professional possibly boring convention some of them take up a good amount of space so there's like a lot of space to really roam inside what are the confines of the booth. Some of them have walls, some of them don't. The publisher that does Kabuto Sumo. Board game tables. Board game tables. Their booth, they have they've got one, a they've got they've got a nice system. They have a bunch of demo tables. They're just the right size for the demo. Their demo people, I think, are among the better demo givers. And their demo the tables, each one of the tables has like a kind of like a signpost over it so there's like two poles going down the side and then the sign over it lets you look at the top and see where each game is instead of like trying to peek in at the table so it's really easy to see what's where and then that's kind of in the front half of their booth in the back half they have metal uh utility racks like the same ones you see like industrial metal racks that you see everywhere those kind of um standard ones theirs are painted black they um have something to hold them together and make them maybe 10 feet tall, you think? And it's just a wall of really fancy board game bags. Well, they they make those board game bags, which are excellent and definitely worth getting. I believe they were more expensive this year, and that's fine. What isn't? But they make like a hut out of those. So there's four walls, except there's an opening for them in the center. They store all their inventory inside of that. And then the shelves themselves are filled with games and bags to become like a room. So the ways that they make like a back room situation within these booths is like pretty impressive. Until Sunday when it was just a bunch of empty shelves. They did a great job. They sold a lot of things. So yeah, then you could kind of see through the walls of what they had created. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that said, there are a lot of them that are just a table a with table some banners that and got a printed. couple banners yeah. and yeah there are a lot i i can't imagine what the kind of cost difference just logistics difference of setting up some of those by and large the big publishers have and i think it's interesting publishers that may seem the same to me like as far as how impressive mm-hmm. their games are how much they seem to sell may have very different boosts like stonemeyer they seem to sell a whole lot of games, but they're ultimately a small shop, and their booth is not anything no, they're just to board, write home about. Board games and people. Yeah, so I think sometimes you imagine like, oh, this booth is going to have like something crazy, um, but that's not that's not really always the case. That's good. Yeah, that's, that's going to be one of my other questions, which was underwhelming. I saw like the Games Workshop booth looks super small too. I don't even know if you remember that. I don't even remember. Hammer is. It's a very tiny square on this map. Yeah, and I think that now I've heard that booths are expensive, and I think there's a legacy aspect to it, and it could be something about how much you can sell out of your booth and how like that might factor into then how much you could afford to spend on it. And that may be the bigger board game 
companies because of the volume of board games they can sell and bring in. If there's a bunch of little different options for buying something, then a booth is not maybe the best place to set up. But if you have 20, someone was telling me they had like, there was, they were talking to a, a publisher had 20, oh, over 20 pallets of games and sold out. Oh, wow. And they were like, we should have brought more pallets. So like when you can just bring pallet after pallet of the exact same thing and then sell all of them, like that is much different than being like, how am I going to bring these hundred different miniatures and accurately manage that kind of inventory out of a booth? So I think there could be some uh, yeah. something to be said for that. Interesting. Um, now, when you look at this map, and I'm on the Gen Con website, mm -hmm. GenCon.com slash map LT equals 14.83861. You know what? Perfect. Just I mean, go ahead and yeah. search Gen Con map. Yeah, yeah. Um, it'll come up. You might be giving but, away your um, pixel tracking code right there. That's... <laughs> oh, is it? No, 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 numbers no, no, no. There, so. <laughs> But no, so you look at this map and there's like there's the Family Fun Pavilion. Did you guys go to the Family Fun Pavilion? So it's not different. No, it's just Funko games surrounded by... And I don't think the kids' games were all concentrated there. Now, they did have... Well, I think... Hob Haba games? Haba. Yeah, I, I agree that it was family fun, but when you look at it on the map, it looks almost as if... Not that it's going to be a sectioned-off area, but that it's going to be clear by, by casting your eyes in that direction that that's where the family fun is happening. And it widely looked like the whole rest of the convention. The artist's area does actually look a little different. Yeah, and I think yeah. the, I think they did a really nice job, and it seemed very intentional that the um, the more graphic either violence or scantily clad folks art was towards the back of the hall. You know what? You are making an excellent point right now because every once in a while, and I I will be I'll say I'm a self confessed prude, so I'm not going to Gen Con being like, can I find? a scantily clad matching Wario and Waluigi banners to hang perhaps on either side of my bed. Like I'd like them in real sexy positions, but was that in the back of the convention? I can't by the imagine food? anybody wanted those. They were creepy it, and scary. Absolutely. I'm going to send Adam. I took a picture, but it's, I think it's on my other it's, phone. It's all I want now. It's all I want. It's I'm sorry to inform say. you. I did not buy it for you, but I will be able to send uh -huh. you a picture and a little later. Okay. So there's things Gosh, like, that's funny. I think that's, maybe that's the family fun of it, is that along the front of the convention, you are right, that sort of shenanigans is not happening. So there's a bit of a division between who's looking for what out of this experience. And you get to the back, and there's just like... Right, it, it is becoming more adult content art-wise in other areas. So that is a very good point. Maybe the family fun is suggesting something different. Yeah. But it wasn't like slides and stuff. There wasn't like there wasn't like a playground okay. in the middle, which would have been cute and fun. But that it wasn't that. It was really just like board game publishers. Because I think Robinsberger is maybe up there. AEG's mm -hmm. not far away, but I don't think they were in right. it. Haba would be up there. Game Game Right is probably oh, in right. there as well. So yeah, it's just family appropriate content. Gotcha. And then it looks like if you go. I mean, assuming this is directionally correct, if you go uh, northeast of there, there's Entrepreneur's Avenue with a lot of small booths it's there. It's just people who can't... I think... I wonder if they get a different rate than a bigger company. It's just yeah. regular booths. It's just regular booths. Okay. And there may be games... Like, I'd have to look closer at the numbers to see, like, which publishers were there. I think it was just, it was like, as much normal it was stuff. As, it was as much trinkets as it was publishers. There were trinkets, there were trinkets, but yeah. I think uh, like Weird Giraffe games may have been back in that area. And they, you know, they're not making a lot of games, but they're just like, they're just making games. I, I remember seeing that on the map and thinking, oh, I want to I walk through there well, like with intention. And then I walked through it once and I was like, I'm not going to come back here. And, you know, it wasn't bad, but it was just, it was just smaller operations doing different things. And there were some empty booths, and I think that could be publishers that intended to come but couldn't, or maybe they were only there certain days, not every day. I think you see that more often in the smaller booths instead of these big things that are staffed, like staffed by people. Right. I see a balloon sculptor. Ah, uh, the balloon sculptor was good. Now, I that was out. Was there one inside the no. exhibit hall? Or I just, didn't. Nah, it's right outside, but it's yes. all in the same. Yeah. They that Math. guy makes a gigantic, or that girl, or that team of people. I don't know. Makes a gigantic dragon out of balloons every year, and then for charity, they slay that dragon and like 
take its head off and pop it. It's a, it's a good time. Okay. It's yeah. a good time. Interesting. And like, That's fun. Like, it's a two-story like, two high dragon. Like, it, it's, its yeah, head it's, is it's, near the, the railing on the second floor. Yeah, and then someone took the head home. Like, they left the head intact. Oh, maybe you're paying to take that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, because that's kind of in, like, the main hallway. Mm-hmm. And then there's, like, exhibit halls uh, north of that and then also, like, southeast of that as well. But I think that looks like mostly a play area. Did you guys spend a lot of time in the, like... So, like, the hall, when it says, like, hall A, B, C, D, yeah. E... We did a couple of yeah. our... Uh, yes. We did a couple, like, like planned demos in that space. And then and we also played a game... When you're there, that area, when you go, you know, if you're coming from Georgia Street and you're walking away from Georgia Street within the convention center, you can walk straight into that area. It's just all open. So they must do something, I don't know what, at six o'clock when the main hall closes to like close that off. But during the day, it's like all open. So once you're in there, you can walk straight from the exhibit hall where all the booths are over to that hall's A through whatever letter. And it's just a sea of tables in tablecloth. There's the letter that the hall is in, and then there's kind of groups. Like, you see groups and segments on the map, but there are no dividing lines. So when you're at one end, you can see clear to the other end. And there would be, like, banners where uh, given publishers are doing their demos, but there's not, like, actually walls in between any of that stuff. There's they, no dividers. They did have, like like groups of like 60 tables might have a yellow tablecloth. The yeah. next 60 would have an orange tablecloth, right. which was very helpful in terms of communicating to people you were trying to meet up with. You're like, yeah. oh, hall C, orange table. Gotcha. Because when you look at the overall map, it looks like these squares of different games Nailed. as though they are separate. But you're saying that's all just a suggestion. That's a suggestion. And when you get in there, it makes it very difficult to figure out where things are because you're kind of, you're more counting tables than seeing booth to booth. So there are, it's, it's just a gigantic, imagine a gigantic cafeteria, except people are pretty yeah. much just playing board games. Um, so yeah, when you have 10, five minutes, let's say, to get to the demo table that you're supposed to be at, you might need that whole five minutes just to walk to it from wherever you are in that same room to make sure you're like actually at the right table. Gotcha. Okay. That's interesting there. I, I... I do have a question. I probably should know the answer. I see Catan Studios yeah. show up a few times. Is that the new name of yes. Catan and I will ownership? Say they had a lovely little booth. Because we kind of were talking about impressive booth things before. Theirs was set up like you were at... You know how the Lego store looks in the mall? It kind of had that vibe, but like a lot shorter. Because the Lego stores, at least the ones I've been into, will have like Legos on either side and then kind of a back wall where you're checking out. And just very clean setup, kind of minimalist, like this is what we're selling. They had a very clean store looking booth. Catan's making hats. They're making coasters out of stone. They're selling plushies. They they had lovely merchandise. And then on the other kind of side of their booth, there was a giant sheep that you could sit on. Uh, When I saw it, there was like a child and a father, like he was taking a picture of his kid on the sheep. So like, I didn't then try to sit on the sheet, but it looked like I could have. Like it was, it was big. It was really nice. And then there was also a Catan traveling truck, which we often saw outside. And we didn't actually go to it. I don't know what they were giving out, but it was fashioned somewhat like a sheep. And that was like, we saw it out the window when we were going on the skywalk. Like, what is that Catan truck out there? So something else happening vaguely on the streets of Indianapolis. And then also in the hallway across and kind of upstairs from the exhibit hall there are rooms that line that hallway and different publishers would have rooms there and they would be able to sell they were just selling their games and having like a separated demo space pretty much every hour i walked by they were open right like so the exhibit hall is only open 10 to 6 but in those rooms they seem to be open before the exhibit hall and after so there was a Catan room where we got they were, she was like, take as much of this as you want. You see all these boxes behind me? It's all this stuff. And it was like lip gloss and mints and water bottles and like just all kinds of things that said Catan on them. Yeah, we have a Catan water bottle now. It's a water like bladder. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Uh, and like Funko had one of those. Pandasaurus had a room like that. CGE all has a big one. I think theirs was maybe upstairs. So yeah, there are these other areas that publishers, I'm sure, can also pay for to have like an expanded presence that goes beyond the hours of the main exhibit hall. So you talk about the, the side rooms. 
we actually uh, spent some time with someone who came to Gen Con to work. Work. Because a lot of these publishers, like, these aren't their employees. They need, like, a quasi-volunteer, temporary staffing situation to be able to run all these tables and run these booths and all these things that they're doing. Because they may have events different places or what have you, just to man the floor, so to speak. So, yeah, yeah. we learned. We, I never looked up how to do that or what that's like turns out different for every publisher yeah you, you can go on their website some of them like to publish it some of them you have to be in their discord because yeah, they don't or some want kind like of just community to, involvement to sign up but they they pay for your gen con ticket they pay for the hotel i think Typically, you're on yeah. your own for your airfare like to get there yeah and this is um, there was one particular the what the person right. we talked to said that the the company they were working for you uh they would pay for your hotel you were bunked with one other person but you had a double room uh, you, they gave you like a per diem for food. Yeah. Um, they wouldn't pay for your travel to get there. You would get a ticket to Gen Con. And then I don't know exact, I think you worked maybe eight hours or so a day, but it was, it was, it was two hour on two hour off. Or, yeah. Shifts. It was like throughout the day somehow, because the, uh, the role this person was doing was like demoing games all day. So they give you, you know, time you do that for a shift for a while and then get a break to go eat. So yeah, you can go then into the exhibit hall and do whatever you want, or you can go get food or what have you, you could probably squeeze in another event if you were feeling that ambitious but also i'm sure it's kind of it's an exhausting thing to be doing as well so they also said they looked at a few different publishers um, few different publishers and what they were offering and um it seems at least by this person's observation that it's pretty standard to offer a hotel room offer like past the convention that is pretty standard um, some companies were putting maybe four people in a double hotel room, which means like you're, that's a bed with a oh. stranger and others are just like, uh, we'll give you a t-shirt and you'll be cool. And it depends really. I said, well, you know, that's not necessarily bad if you're local. Like if Aaron and I decided that we wanted a free pass to Gen Con, we wouldn't need lodging. We're already here. It would be sort of a bit redundant and unnecessary. It wouldn't be uh, a deterrent from us like right. working in the booth. And it could be that if you really like that publisher and they have a lot of people wanting to do it, well, they don't necessarily have to give something better. Maybe that's part of it, that right. they can just give a T-shirt and be like, well, you would be awesome and you'd be in our booth. Yeah, and we talked to this person uh, on Sunday and they did seem exhausted. But I think, honestly... I, I wouldn't want to do it more than once, but it might be cool to like do that once just to see what that's like. You know, I don't think that I have the extroversion to manage it. I think I would be better to be with a publisher like that you really like, games that you're really familiar with, because I think that would just make it easier. And I might, I think maybe I'd be more interested in volunteering to help like set up. Mm. Because we're already in town, like that would kind of be nice. You're not talking about needing to stay an extra day or whatever to be able to get that done. So I might be more interested in helping with like booth setup or maybe even booth teardown. It was kind of nice to not do anything Sunday. So I don't know. I, I don't know. How, I don't know if I'd really want to do that or not. I'm certainly thankful that people do it. And I think it's a, gr I think it's a nice way if you're open to that, to very much offset uh, the cost of something you might have just flat not been able to do. Right. So you may have just not at all been able to attend Gen Con unless under those kind of conditions where someone is paying for a bulk of the trip. So if you only have to f pay for your way to get there, that's huge for a vacation in right. general. So yeah. that the the money that you may have spent on, I mean, a hotel room, even like just an Airbnb or whatever, like... Indiana, it's still, maybe if you'd want to drive in, it's still going to be a few hundred dollars. A night, so yeah. if you're able to offset that, maybe that's money that you can just straight save. Maybe that's money that you can then spend on things at the convention that you wouldn't have. Otherwise, like, it's a really good option, uh, I think, if that's, if it's something that interests you. It kind of was sad to hear that they were like two hours on, two hours off. Makes I, a lot, it was like a long day. I can't remember exactly how the it's logistics hard to, like, worked. get anything in. Like, you got to eat somewhere in there, and then, like, you, two hours isn't really enough time to, like, do And that's where we found anything. with our schedule. It was hard yeah. to, when you have just a little bit of time because of how spread out things can be, 
you need to do your basic human needs of eating, going to the bathroom, what have you, and then also trying to fit in some other yeah, event. I, or I activity. would much rather do like a four two four, or I mean, I, I'm sure that. And I don't know, like I said, I don't know exactly what the setup was and how different it may be from publisher to publisher, you know, booth to booth. Yeah, but it's a side of Gen Con you don't think about. But you know, as you said, it, you're very appreciative that people do that because it, it, enhances, it makes those folks it enhance makes it the all con a ton. I think it makes it work I don't think it even enhances it I think it makes it work I don't know how it really functions without people willing to do that and there may be other ones where you have like two days on two days off right so that you actually get full on whatever you want to do in the convention for a couple days and they get you a four-day pass so there there may be other arrangements than that one and it might change like how much of a per diem they do or don't give you right. or that kind of thing but, yeah, that was really interesting to hear a little more about those, you know, kind of gears and uh, how it works behind the scenes a little yeah, bit. We sure. were leaving on Saturday, speaking of the exhibit hall, we were going through the exhibit hall on Sunday and like at the very, pretty close to the end, maybe in the last hour or so, kind of walking out and there were some booths starting to sort of begin packing up. And I just looked around and thought, God, this is what a mess to clean up. Like... There's so much in there. And you know that there was like, there. it's just a function of what it is. There was literally nothing. There's literally nothing in there before they come. And they have to tear all that down. Yeah. Ugh. Watch a documentary about like the setup and tear down, like follow some vendors. Like oh, how yeah. How they do this all. Like I... on repeat, because it's representing one weekend for them. Yes. This isn't like... Yes. Oh, that's it too. Like some of these are, this is road every other weekend. There's yes. somewhere. I can't even imagine like that. You have to pull all that down and you probably have a great system for it. You got to pack it all back up and just do it all again in a new place. It's going to by and large feel exactly the same, like that same, yeah. but different thing. That seems so weird. And Gen Con, I think is the biggest is it the biggest stateside board game convention? I know it's pretty big. Yeah, it's the largest in the U.S. But uh, Essen is in a couple months and is larger. I don't know how much larger, but I know that it is larger. And I can't imagine going to both Gen Con and Essen just a couple months apart. Like, that's just a lot. That's a, that's a lot of... It was super enjoyable to be in the exhibit hall, but like... The fact that that all gets recreated in another place and gets recreated over and over is like, so, uh, it's hard to, it's really hard to wrap your mind around. Hey, sir, why are there 40,000 metal dice in your carry-on? Well, hear me out. Yeah, um, actually, this is my I'm life. on my way uh -huh. to Germany. <laughs> Gosh. I mean, yeah, that's, why do you have a horn, Isabel? I, you know, not I a horn. describing all that, by the way, 50 horns. it makes me think that if I ever had to time travel, I should just go to Gen Con because wherever I'm going, I'm sure they have the right outfit. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it, there was some, like, there was a fair number of costume shops on the exhibit floor. And by a fair number, I mean like oh. maybe two or three where you could like buy a costume there. I mean, more than I'm running into. On a day-to-day -day basis. Oh, I mean, there's one costume shop in all of Indianapolis that I know about. There was also that, like, fancy streetwear. Do you remember that? That was over by the, kind of the uh, big potato I, I mail truck. I definitely miss that. <sighs> there's there's no use describing it on here. That's just a picture for later. But as far as, like, miscellaneous clothing you could buy, it looks like there was this... Um, uh, this line of clothing, Muster Brand, I think, that did, like, really fancy but gamer-themed clothing... And it looked like that kind of stuff without having the uh, like Assassin's Creed licensing to go along with it. Just kind of stitched and fitted modern wear. I, I don't know how to better explain it, but I, you don't see it other places. There's a lot there that you don't see other places. And that's like the fun and kind of carnival feel to oh, all of it. Yeah. Because yeah, it's like, yeah, this is going to be in this city for four days before it packs it up. We have to go to whole new cities to find people that want to buy these things. And gosh darn it, we're on our way. Yeah. Yep. We did it. We're going to unrecord again. Gotcha. Okay, I see that now on this map here. That's interesting. So, was it... I mean, how, how, can, how difficult was it to get through the crowd to get where you wanted to be. I would be. say not difficult I would at all. say, yeah, aside from the 
the first hour where we had very distinct plans and it was somewhat difficult. It was but very it, relaxed, except and then Sunday, I sun, think was the except because Sunday I think is family day. And a lot there's a lot of one day passes for Sunday. Sunday is a shorter day as well. I think the the doors close at four instead of six. And then there were a lot of people with Sunday badges, like as you walked around. So it felt more compact that day. I'd say even the other days, it wasn't usually, especially we weren't in costume. Maybe be a little harder if you had costume or like a bunch of bags. We were very often dumping our bags back at the car because we parked across the street. But moving around through the, it wasn't difficult. There was more than enough space. There might be a lot of crowds and lines around a specific thing. The Hachette booth would always have would have a long yeah. line around it. They were selling Turing machine along with other things. The miniature market booth, which was selling Twilight Inscription, and they were selling like games on behalf of other publishers. So they had more of a mix of things, which would draw more people there. But I'd say by and large, I didn't wait in a lot of those were long lines that I did wait in, but there's more than enough that you just walked right up. And there would also be a fair amount of open demo tables this year. Even though we did less of it, I feel like the crowd distribution, it wasn't too hard to get into a demo game on the floor. Because a lot of the publishers have booths set up with the game on them, with people there teaching you. So you just sit down at a table in their booth and someone kind of runs you through the game. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. That's nice. That is good. Was there, and there's like third party companies there as well that are just selling. Anything. Miscellaneous merchandise as well, right? Absolutely. Um, well, was there any like big giant? Gosh, who's buying that? Not because they're scantily clad Nintendo characters, but like you know, just any <laughs> sort of like crazy good. items as you're walking on. You're like, oh my gosh, look at that thing. I don't think I I have a a good answer to that question, but a couple things like struck me. One, it'd be a very expensive place to to, to care about dice. There are so many dice. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, and there are some nice-looking dice booths. Yeah, and not just one booth. Like, there's maybe 15 booths that are selling dice, and they're all very that pretty. That might be a super low estimate. Yeah. yeah. There are some big booths that are just selling dice. And then the Wormwood people have ridiculously some nice gaming. Yeah. Well, they, they have nice dice towers. Oh, yeah. They have nice tables. They were they have... smaller this year than last year. I think there were some publishers last year who were like, you mean so-and-so? Like, you mean less publishers are coming? Give us double booth. And I think they got better rates on it and had, like, bigger stuff. And, you know, things that were bigger than they would usually be able to afford in a typical year. I think this was more typical year kind of, I'm guessing, prices and rates. So the Wormwood booth was much smaller this year, I thought, than it was last year. Yeah, there was a, a booth that was targeted towards folks who might fancy themselves future game designers, and it was called, like, Board Game Candy or something like that, and it was just every kind of imaginal, imaginable, like, very small plastic game pieces that oh, yeah. you could, like, buy I in bulk and create your own games. some people like those or want them for crafting as well. They were all plastic. So I think it could be people creating their own game or wanting them as, like, decoration or to replace pieces in their game. Like, if it just came with a cardboard token, you could buy all the plastic tokens. Right. But they were set up like candy bins. That was kind of a weird one. That's a good pick. It's a lot of leather craft. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. Oh, like okay. uh, satchels and other accoutrements you as could well buy, as... You could buy a horn. Like... A Lord of the Rings <laughs> battle yeah, horn. Yeah, or like, yeah, something that was kind of Viking-style yeah. horn. Like, we were walking by, and Aaron was like, horns for $80? And I was like, what? I'm like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's exactly what it was. Again, with, like, the strap that you could add it to your the cosplay that you're building. So costume pieces like that, I think it is a good – lots of uh, corsets. Of corsets? You could buy a of corset? Different, different corsets of different types. There was a gentleman walking around with like a sewing kit vest and a big sign that said emergency costume oh, yeah. repair. Yeah, I think he's there every year. Yeah. Yeah. He's not a booth. He's just a, he's just a guy that wanders. But yeah, there were, I'd say there were a good amount of accessories like that that you could buy where I'm thinking, you know what? It probably is pretty hard to find that at your local store. Yeah. And if you're them, it's probably hard to find your market. And, I think and that Gen those... Con. I wonder how much those people, because I walked by one booth that looked too small to have this sign out that said, like, they're going to be at all the conferences. Like, they're, whatever it was, it was like, we'll be here and here and here and here. And I'm like, man, you are packing up this stuff and taking it all over. So I think that is interesting to think about these sort of shops that exist through conventions. 
Yeah. Even if they don't have a huge presence. And then there was another thing I thought was really interesting. So there's a fair, there's a pretty big MTG presence in the hall. And I, I kind of felt bad. There was one place that was like adjacent to another place. They're both uh, trading in magic cards or magic the gathering cards. And one of them was like, had a big sign that was like, sorry, store credit only. And like, Right across the hall from them was a big place that said, we are always buying, we pay cash. And I was like, it's got to be rough to be the store credit only folks right across the way from the people that are just like, yeah, we'll, we'll buy your cards for cash. I think different people want different things. And so maybe it's better that they're coexisting there. Right. And, you know, speaking of the cash versus store credit, oh. I think another, I didn't, you know, when you're living your everyday life and you're going places, national chains, Target, whatever, Best Buy, wherever it is that you may shop, you don't think too much about the currency that you will need because they just by default are accepting all of it. And if you go to a lot of smaller local businesses, you might run into that where maybe haircut places only accept cash or certain small storefronts just have a square card reader. That same diversity is seen across the exhibit hall. So there were pretty much everywhere would accept, pretty much everywhere would accept a credit card. I think far less of them they may not accept cash. However, the Oink Games booth, a small game, but it, a small booth, but they have small games, and they were doing gangbusters business out of that booth. They, uh, you said you went there, and because you had cash, and their things are even amounts, it was just like hand me the cash. Yeah, hand I, me didn't, the game, I didn't have to wait in line. End of transaction. Um, we can which, just hand it to you, which was good because Kelly, I mentioned she sent me uh, a PDF with. Uh, that was annotated with circles and arrows and a plan yes. of attack. I had to go to the Oink booth three times because... He just kept buying... Now, he went to the first time and got Scout. I got and, Scout, yeah. And then that was the game that was nominated for Spiel des Jahres. Yep. So popular. And they really... I think they had more than enough of those games to sell to everybody, which is great. Um, but I thought that they might be a little more scarce than that. So then he comes back... The I'm annotated in, PDF said Deep Sea Scout. And I thought that was one game. And, and then the was, game I got just said Scout. Right. Okay. So you bought that game. You came back. This the whole time I'm just in the Hachette line trying to buy a Turing machine from La Scorpion Mask. Yeah. That's I'm there the whole time. So he comes back. Uh, he comes back, and I'm like, oh, this is. I need a, a another game. You get the other game, Deep Sea Adventure expansion, and he's like, oh no. So then he goes back to get that. I bought Deep Sea. He not bought Deep. The expansion. Well, he bought Deep Sea Adventure, not the expansion, and we already have Deep Sea Adventure. So then he comes back, and I was like. So we have this one. We don't need a second copy <laughs> of this game. There's an expansion. He's like, well, the map didn't say expansion. And I'm like, well, you've played the game we have that looks exactly like this. So I didn't know that you didn't know that. So then he goes back to the booth again and gets the actual one. And I don't think you waited all three times I didn't wait in line long. at all because it was cash transaction. So And he was nice enough like, to do an exchange for yeah. you for the deep sea versus the and expansion. Was, they were a small booth and they were in a tight spot and yeah. they had a long line because people really wanted Scout was pretty popular. Scout was very popular. So he was like, Anyone in line with cash, I can take you right now. Everyone else had to wait in line. And yeah. so and then he, he was I don't think supposed to give me the return, but he like just swapped the games out and gave me the ten bucks, which was the difference. And I was like not even gonna take the ten bucks. I was, was like, like, Listen, it was my whatever fault. Whatever this costs now, I'm like, in it. It's fine. You know? But no, he gave me the ten dollar refund, he swapped the games out. They yeah. do a good business at Oink. So uh, a lot of like we said, that one, if you had cash, maybe you could go faster. Some Sometimes I felt like uh, there was one booth that said, I was Stonemeyer, who was selling on behalf of Stonemeyer, really, said like, well, your cash price is $10. So I got these two card packs. And I was like, I didn't have cash. So I was like, what? Like, what is the price of these things? And they just, if you did a credit card, they actually added the credit card fee on top of whatever you were buying, which is a good point. If you're running credit cards, you're effectively paying for these games at a discount as opposed to whatever they're actually taking in. And I was like, you know, fair enough, sure. Went ahead and did that. And then there was one booth, Horrible Guild, who was only accepting cash. Yeah, they said they didn't know they were coming to the con, and they, they, they're they based in another country, and they're like, we couldn't get a credit card thing to accept the correct currency. They Sorry. weren't. Yeah, they weren't, they weren't ready for that, so they were cash only, which meant... It was easier to pick up that game, Evergreen, that they were selling. And I think that's the only game they were selling there because I think if they were taking credit cards, more people would have bought it immediately 
And I don't know what that would have meant for their inventory going forward. We had a discussion about whether or not we were going to go get cash to buy this game. We, we did. We did. We did walk up to the chase. We went up to the circle. It's lovely. Um, and actually got cash to go back and buy buy that game. So an interesting mix. And I some of these smaller places, I kind of wonder how many of them were just taking Square because it's sort of an easier way for them to, yeah. uh, you know, keep an inventory, keep, you know, you now already have digitized receipts of everything you sold if you're running the card. Like, how much of that is an advantage to a small business versus having to pay to run the card and right. that taking a little bit away from your profit? But it was mostly a lot of tap your card on this white square. So really, Square's the one doing the real business. Oh, Square here. made some money at Gen Con. They, and I was just thinking about how much <laughs> Wi-Fi, like how much Wi-Fi is being drawn in the convention center. I did not have not one issue with the Wi-Fi in the convention center the whole time. And there are thousands of people using it. The, not one slow running of transactions, not nothing. That, I mean, that's that's trickery. That's hard. So if we're someone's doing infrastructure. Someone's doing a fantastic job because that oh, at that scale, that's very difficult. It was that was flawless because you, if you can imagine if the internet went down there and all of those businesses using Square like are you, maybe they're having to use their phone signal yeah. to do it or whatever. Like, yeah, that Google would told be me madness. that there was a power outage downtown on Monday, and I was like, "Oh man, that would have been the worst." I don't know what the convention center has going for, to support like their generators or how uh, they've got to have something. Yeah, but man, yeah, yeah. And then there's a place where you can test board games as well, which is different than a demo game. Yeah, like, can't you, like, try out someone's game that's not, like, officially released games as well as, like, instead of, like, well, demoing? there's a play test. They call it the First Exposure, and it's run by Double Exposure, Inc., or something like that. And you technically, you can get a ticket to it. However, you can also just walk into the room, and if there's any open spots left after the people with tickets, they kind of get first pick of what game they do. If you're very open to whatever might be there... Definitely a great place to go. They needed more RPG kind of willing participants, I think, than board games. There were usually a lot of people there to do the board games and not so much for the RPGs to so try those out. So if you have experience with that or interest in that, that would be a good idea. Um, we went there twice, but it's really like its own set. It's not a super huge space and it's its own separate room yeah. off, you know, off to the side. Um, so it's not really integrated into the bigger exhibit hall kind of stuff. Gotcha. Okay. Then uh, did you guys take a trip down Authors Avenue? That sounds like a quick walk. <laughs> so I believe that you and, and Kelly both informed me that R.A. Salvatore would be there at the con. He was, and I forgot about it. And I'm usually not like that into meeting people that are famous that, that I like read their stuff or follow their stuff. But... I was like, I did have a mild disappointment when I saw that he had been there, and I did not, I did not see him. Honestly, I don't think I even know what uh, Ari Salvatore looks like. Oh, so it would have been hard to spot. Uh, well, hang on, we're gonna have a game now. Uh, please describe him. I'll pull the picture. <laughs> what do you think he looks like? Um, I'm gonna guess he is uh, mid to late fifties, white gentleman, uh, long hair with some gray, probably a beard, and moderately overweight, but not too bad. You got some check boxes for sure. Uh, middle-aged white guy, check, check. No beard. Oh, all right. He does have a goatee sometimes, oh, but not all right. always. All right, all right. And uh, the picture that I saw of him, he did have not long hair, but longer hair. He has bangs yeah. in what I'm saying here. Oh, bangs. So, yeah. And he's a big dude, but like I wouldn't say overweight because like, he looks like he could fight somebody. Oh. Like... Like, if you told me he was, like, an, the author we all know and acclaimed arm wrestling champion, R.A. Salvatore, I would believe you. All right. You are seeing different pictures than I saw of him. Oh. Yeah, I, I'm not seeing any pictures of him. Other pictures look less like that. But some of them I feel like he looks just like a just a big dude. Like, I mean, he writes... Like, his bones are made of double <laughs> bones. He, he, writes, he writes very well about exquisite fight scenes. Maybe he practices. He looks tall. I don't know. I, I don't... Nope, now he doesn't look tall. Yeah. Never mind. He, he was the... What do they call it? Like, artist of... Or author of honor? There was some, like, title that he had for being there. So he was signing books and doing events around around Gen Con. Oh. Oh. Yeah, I think in years... I that don't, seems right. I don't know if it's always... I don't think it's always an, 
an author. I think that one time one of the former doctors was like the guest of honor. Oh, there was uh, not on Author's Row, but near Author's Row, there was a gentleman who was there who made his own T-shirts. And he basically did self-created fan art from a bunch of like nerdy oh, things. Oh, that was really good. And I bought a very nice T-shirt about that had shrieking eels on it. From the Princess it, Bride. From the Princess Bride. And it... Like not oh. only did it have the shrieking eels on it, on the back it had a map of like the lake where the shrieking eels were. And it was I mean, it was just a very quality in the you know, it's a nice shirt. Very excited. It's my favorite purchase of the con. Oh. Yeah, we'll have Favorite to... Purchase of the Con. That's a good thing Ooh. in this talk of exhibit hall. That's true. What is my favorite purchase of the con? Well, there is a purchase that's going to be on its way to Adam. Oh, well, thank you. Dum, Very dum, exciting. Dum. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I didn't get, you know, usually I go to the Gen Con regular merch, well, I should say usually. Last year I did. The regular Gen Con merch booth, which is actually, like, out of the way. It's not, like, right outside the exhibit hall. It's it's over yeah. and through a number of hallways. And that's nice for the crowd that may form around it. But, like, I went to it one day and it was already closed and I never went back. So I didn't get a shirt. You can usually still buy them from Rollercrit, I think, online. But there's things that are only available, actually, if you're there. So that's not going to be it because I didn't do that. Uh-huh. I don't know what my favorite. I'm going to have to think about that. I, I bought a lot of games. I don't yet have like a favorite game that I bought. Cause I think that's going to depend a little more on actually playing it. Yeah, I don't know. If I think of something, I'm going to interject. Yeah, it's going to be hard for my yeah. favorite game not to be uh, Cat and Box. That's there's so many more. I, I know, but like but you really like it. It's a trick taking game. It's a Schrodinger's cat pun. I don't know what more a game could offer. Yeah, we went to this is after the convention kind of technically was over. We went out to dinner and played that game. So I think was that the no, that wasn't the first game that we bought that we played though, because there were some that we bought and played while still during the right, right, right. during the convention. But we went with Ruel, uh, Gaviola. And then Razor, who's also like kind of from the online community, like we are, we're, we're hanging out on streams and stuff. So actually getting to play a game with uh, people that you spend time with online was really fun. We, and we played Cat in the Box together. I did drop the box at one point, which we had to collect the pieces from the floor of Giordano's. There are many. There are many, but we found them all. It's all good. So yeah, I think that's, that is, I'm not knocking your choice, but I was just surprised that you were so locked in. You were excited about Arcana Rising. I, I liked it, but we, we but played it. it hasn't it hasn't risen above no, Cat we, in the Box. No, we, we played it today. It wasn't as good as, as Cat in the Box. Adam, Adam, the, in, in Cat in the Box, it's a trick-taking game. The suit of the card is not determined until you play it. Right. It, it's super, I mean, I, I it's, I, I, you know, I love trick-taking games, and it's a creative new twist on that, and, you know, I think it's great. We also bought the the game Kelly mentioned earlier that the publisher just found an old box of them and they're out of print is uh, is another trick taking game. It's called right. Tricky, Tricky Tides. I Tricky think. Tricky Tides. Yeah. And I'm, I as I've mentioned it to people, I'm hearing good things. But like, I got it because it was I was already at 25th Century Games booth buying I think Sunny Day sardines and something else. And he was just like, Yeah, we found some of those back, and it was like ten dollars. They were like, We yeah. found them in a box in a closet. So we decided to bring him to Gen Con. I'm like, yeah, go ahead and give me that. Now, what should have been your favorite yep. purchase, but we did not, in fact, purchase. Oh. They had a TARDIS advent calendar. Oh, yeah. I did. I thought about that. But it's sort of like, ultimately, I don't think I'd really want the things in it. That was at the tea and absinthe booth. I Ultimately, I think that like you're going to open it, and it's going to be fun. But then you're going to have like uh, 24 TARDIS and Doctor Who-like knickknacks that I'm going to feel obligated to keep for no apparent reason. And, you know, sometimes you just don't need to invite those things into your life. I thought about getting the... I didn't end up going to the uh, Cosmos booth where you got Lord of the Rings, but I thought about getting the advent calendar that's like the escape advent calendar oh. where you do a puzzle a day. And, I mean, there's still time uh, to pick that one up. It's not Christmas yet. I'm trying to double check here and see if I see anything quickly on this list of purchases that I made. You know, I think I, this isn't really the same, because this was really an event, not an exhibit hall thing, but I think I liked going to the hot games room for $4. We went multiple yeah. times, $4 for two hours. Maybe I liked that the most of like a purchase I made. I'm going to keep looking. You guys keep talking. I think either going to the Indians game or going to dinner at Giordano's were both purchases 
someone right we, we we're just were getting like, further and further from, from the Macan. exhibit hall so yeah um, right i mean i guess the ticket to gin con <laughs> it's my, my favorite purchase, purchase. I mean, if we're going to just keep going here. i think what i liked more than any one purchase i think that i liked the ability to kind of be jumping back and forth i mean it's like when you're in a game store you're not in the game store for just one publisher, one, you know, one certain thing. All of these different games are side by side. And that's kind of the magic of going to, I mean, I guess the aisle at Target, Toy Isle is fine enough. But when you go into a game store, you kind of have just this variety of things that you can experience right there. And Gen Con is like a game store on like mutant steroids. So you're in right. this big game store experience. And, you know, as you go to a small game store, there's not necessarily a lot of people in it. You're in this huge hall filled with other people who not everyone's there for board games even. But vaguely speaking, you're all into the same stuff. You've all found your way here on that day. And being able to, you know, it's one thing for the game store employee to kind of tell you about a game. And it's one thing to watch videos about a game or then see, like, publisher information about a game. But, like... All of those things are happening at once. So it feels, it's just a, I think just experiencing that in the exhibit hall, being able to go from floodgate and get a demo. And like a lot of times the designers are there. They can, they'll be signing games. They might be teaching the game and you might get a chance to play with them. You might get a chance to play with the people who you've been watching make board game content and explain games to you all year. And those people are just like working in different booths and they've traveled to Gen Con just like you have. So I think that's kind of the magic of the exhibit hall is that all of that is happening there together instead of it being like this one event, this one day, this thing here. You can just jump from Pandasaurus to Floodgate to Ravensburger to, you know, whatever the next. You can just hop around from booth to booth and have all of these experiences so close to one another is pretty phenomenal. That's great. Yeah. Did was there a particular cosplay person walking around that you were just like, "Oh, that's very awesome." I feel like we saw less of it this year because on Saturday we were booked in more events, and then that's the big day that oh. a lot of people are dressed up. Now, I will say, I always enjoy I think someone is always maybe going to come as this. Maybe it's the same person that was came as last time. But from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It's really good. There'll be um, someone with like all the bags and stuff and the coconuts, like the clomping horse. Oh, and then yeah. behind the other guy that's also that's dressed of the period. And so when you're just walking through the convention, it's a very distinct sound. And they're doing a great job in whatever the coconuts they've picked or the, uh, the analogs to do that like horse clomping. So you'll hear it and be like, oh, where is he? Where is the guy? <laughs> so that one's that's fun. cool. You also liked, we saw a very, a very well done uh, Jack Sparrow costume. Oh, yeah. We were walking down a hallway and uh, there was someone because there were I think that was Saturday. So there were more groups of people fully dressed up. And you certainly see like people in like full armor and things where you're like, how did you even make this? Um, we're walking down one of the upstairs hallways and there's just a miscellaneous Jack Sparrow uh, wandering about. And I we walked past and I said to Aaron, like, I like all the life choices they're making because they weren't just like, a, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's just like, yeah, they got the shirt and the pants and a couple things. They were layered head to toe like no detail spared it was a it was a fully realized sort of complete jack sparrow it wasn't the you know 29.99 off the rack then that's the thing when you're seeing the cosplay it's not those off the rack costumes some of them are but others are like so this was just your life's passion for a number of months to be able to get this if not far longer and far more expensive than that yeah. So yeah, I I did like I did like that, and then seeing some of the people who like we saw like I don't know what those even were, but they were just like people with blankets and and googly eyes on top of the blanket, and they were like going like meet meet, and they were like a oh. collection of them in different colors. I think it's from something I don't know what, but they did like a twenty dollar thirty dollar cosplay that was still really cute, especially seeing the group of them. But it was just a blanket that they cut up the yeah. right way. Yeah, I remember that. So you see things like that and then you see other things where it's like, I don't even know where this person's head is in the illusion that they have created in front of me. And just huge like <laughs> uh apparatuses, like weapons and things like that that they've also fashioned and are walking around with. So I think how excessive some of it gets is very impressive. 
Cool. I don't know that I have any other questions. Well, I don't know that we have anything else. Do we have any parting shots about I, the? This the is more. This likely won't make the episode, but I, I I'll just say to Adam more than anything. I, you know, you don't go to Gen Con for like classic board games, so you can't like buy Monopoly or Backgammon, or you might be able to, but like you have to try hard. Right. But I remain, especially with the popularity of of chess now. Like I didn't see. There's not one person selling chess boards or chess pieces, and I would have liked to have like looked at some fancy chess pieces. Probably wouldn't have bought them, but. I think there were oh, some. Oh, sure. Do you think there were some last year, and that may have been a Queen's Gambit? There was some last year. Last five. year, there was one thing that was doing four-player chess, and they had really cool red, green, yellow. Like, they had multicolor pieces, and they were nice piece sets. They're basically like the tournament piece sets, but different colors. And I thought about buying a couple of those, but I didn't. And they weren't there this year. They weren't back. Yeah. Yeah. And I keep getting fooled yeah, because that's fair. The, the big dice maker is Chessex, and I'm like... That's not, that's not yeah. dice. Those are dice. Yeah, yeah that's um, that is a good point though, and that's. I mean, it kind of kind of makes sense though, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. Yeah. It's not there for for those things. Yeah, I mean, it is a board game, but that's not what we're doing here, at all. So, and I think aside from some of the art, which I find questionable, there was a lot of. I think that's one thing that I could see spending more time looking at or like picking up. Cause I really had a strong board game agenda this time. And I think last time I took a little more interest and uh, saw more booths that were making or selling some other little thing. Right. Right. And this time I was like straight on board games. That's a mission. That's where my dollars are going. So I think I, Regret might be a little strong, but I think I could have spent a little more time like looking at some of the artwork, some of the other crafts, some of the other things people were creating right. yeah, that I were outside that. of board games. Because we don't do – there's a lot of RPG-related things there as well, which that's not something we're into. But I think the things on the artist row and then some of the smaller booths, like I didn't frequent those as much this year as I did in previous years. And I think that's – in part, I think that's where the size starts to detract because it's hard with how much is there. Even if you go, I was in there a lot, and I still feel like, you know, I didn't necessarily see literally everything. And it still does take a good amount of time just to work your way through to see some of those smaller, less flashy things. Like, that is difficult. Yeah. So I think as it gets bigger again, it kind of, those smaller booths, one, you have access to the crowd, but maybe also suffer a little bit in the noise of trying to get other things, get to other things. Thank you so much for listening to episode 68. Be sure to subscribe to know when new episodes drop. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch at Variant Hex. We have a website and a blog at VariantHex.com. And you can email us at podcast at varianthex.com. The next episode will be our tips and tricks for Gen Con 2023. Unless you're listening to these in reverse, in which case you have 67 more episodes headed your way. The next one being a recap of the food we ate at Gen Con 2022. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Mm-hmm.